What's up, Chicago Fire fans? This is DJ from Men in Red, joined by Tim. Hey. Uh, Alan is not with us tonight. He is currently committing crimes against humanity. And by humanity, I mean against us. And by crimes, I mean he's hanging out with his girlfriend. Uh, these are unforgivable things. He will be punished later with the wet noodle. I thought he was just celebrating the fact that Connor Bedard scored a goal in the, in the NHL and just never stopped the party. He probably did. When the that 85 time. Chicago Bears are still actually <laughs> having a rager, like nearly, you know, 40 years later. They're still just, that's why the Bears have been so bad. They've just been drunk ever since. It's just, this, what is this it? This scent, like, they never got that out when they rebuilt Ultra Field. There's just like alcohol, like, imbued into the, like, the locker room. There, there's an actual condition where it's like you're not, you go to a bar, you drink non-alcoholic stuff, but you still get absolutely wasted. I can't remember what it's called. It's like contact drunk or something like that. No. Huh. That's, but I, I've not heard of that. Yeah. But that's what, that's what the bears are on. So we have a... Well, and the fire, the fire don't have the same locker room, but it's, you know, I guess not that far away. Maybe that's what the issue is. Yeah, Frank Lopez's demigod powers just aren't as powerful as they were before because of all that beer. So today we have a bit of a shorter episode. We are going to be looking at New York City. We're going to be looking at the last week. To start out with, we have two U22s. Brian Gutierrez and Chris Brady, who are ranked both way too low in the ranking. Brady finished in 17th, a crime, and Guti finished in 5th. Which, Guti, what's shocking for me is Guti and Brady were always mixed. Like, they were swapped over. Brady was always seen as, like, top five. Guti was, like, tenth. We all figured, like, it was going to be someone like, uh, Kramashi. I can't pronounce his name right. But he can, it's fine. Yeah, but, uh, having said that, both um, Brian Gutierrez and Chris Brady did make the 22 under 22 best 11 from the league. Um the fire, the only team that has two players in that best 11. So that's something, um, another noteworthy player that is in that best 11 is Talis Magno, who a good way to troll NYCFC fans that you may know, but between now and decision day is he's listed as being the center forward in that best 11 graphic. And, uh, that's not the position he plays and it will just bug them. If you point that out, because they much like the fire have kind of been like waiting to actually get like, the striker who has been promised and it's just yet to happen for them. Mm. On this New York city, we agree, but uh, for the rest of it, no, you, you guys, you guys get, you guys get bad stuff. But yeah. So congratulations to both of them on being named to the U 22 or to the best under 22. Um, but yeah, they Brady deserve to be a lot higher 17th man. Like, Brady is the most underrated goalkeeper in the league. End of story. He's top 10 in, in most categories that are actually under a, a top 10 in the league and in, in most categories that are actually under a goaltender's control. Uh, you know, so it, the fact that he's actually seen, I mean, like if he was a hockey player, you'd say he's seen a lot of rubber. Chigley and I have decided that he's a hockey player. He just doesn't really know <laughs> it. So he's seen a lot of rubber. He's led in goals because of the number of shots that have come his way. But he has done, I mean, a lot to prevent other goals from happening. And he really hasn't cost the fire, I mean, more than like a couple of points during the entire course of the season, which frankly, a lot of teams can't really say that, that their goalie has been that good throughout the year. Gaga, for reference, lost fire probably about 10 points last year. I mean. And, and he did have a lot more clean sheets, but that was happening when the team was still trying to figure out an identity under Ezra. And the solution seemed to be like almost like desperation, like 11 man defending for the entire game. So you had a bunch of like nil nil draws or draws that were like close to nil nil, but you know, somehow like the, the team managed to sneak a goal or something like that. Yeah, I remember, remember uh, Fabi and then Jonathan Bornstein that left wing. <laughs> That game was Oh, fun. man. Yeah. I mean, he scored, though. Yeah. Johnny B did score. So. And speaking of writing Guti, uh, we're moving on to the international. Guti played 90 minutes against in their friendly against Mexico. Brady did not start. 
I did not watch that game. I don't know if anybody actually did. That game was not that game was not streaming. U.S. Soccer wanted to stream it. Uh, the Mexico Soccer Federation did not want to stream it, so ultimately it was not available. So what I'm hearing is Mexico didn't want to see the U.S. want people to see the U.S. beating them, which they did. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, so I can't go into much. I don't think Gucci didn't have anything to do with any of the goals scored, uh, but the Next game was last night, actually. Uh, we were so uh, Tim, Allen, and I were all just in a call watching the game, and we saw some of the goals. It was like, oh, this is good. Yeah, because shockingly, it, it, shockingly, Jiggly was not in it. Yeah, because it was a game against Japan, which is, you know, I mean, as a self declared weave, that is a country that you'd like to see more of, but. Um, the game ended up 4-1 for the United States. It was a pretty impressive win when all was said and done. Um, Chris Brady started. He played the 70 until like the 72nd minute, I want to say. He looked pretty solid throughout the match. I mean, he wasn't amazing. I don't think he was tested that much, but, you know, he didn't He didn't have to be. It was hanging around um, a, a close game for a while until the U.S. finally opened it up in the dying, in like the last like third of the match. So... It was good to see him like keep the score um, as you know as close as he needed to, like you know not let another one in and like let Japan level it up at like two all or something like that. Uh, and it looked like him getting subbed off was just a, a planned sub because they brought in three goalkeepers for the camp, and I think they wanted to give all three um, an opportunity to to get some time in. Um, so it doesn't look like it's an injury concern or anything like that. Good. Yeah, because I know, well, uh, Clubus did say that everybody's back from international break, and I don't think he had anything to say about, like, injuries on that. No, front. it looked like everyone's good. He said that he wasn't sure, and we'll get to that with the, the preview later. But, yeah, yeah, it looks like everyone's good to go. Um, you know, the kind of funny thing about this is this was theoretically a U23, you know, couple of friendlies. And the U.S. also named a separate U22 team, which isn't normally a category. Um <laughs> But uh, Sergio Arhel Jr. and Javier Costas were both named to that squad, who, as far as I know, aren't in camp or doing anything right now. They just named them to the squad. They'll be going to the Pan American Games later in October. Um, so congratulations to both of them. I am very glad uh, Javi is getting some recognition. There is a very good chance he will not be brought back to the club next year just because he's on an option and he hasn't played for the club. So I'm very happy he's getting something. He's getting a chance at the Pan Am Games where someone might actually watch and say, hey, let's give him more shots. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because the, the Pan Am Games, the eligibility window is timed so that teams that have made it to the Olympics can bring their Olympic squads. Um, but obviously it looks like the U.S. is really sending, I mean, no offense to either of those fire players, but is really sending kind of more of a B team to the Pan Am Games. Um, and it was the sort of like Olympic bound team that Guti and uh, Brady were both named to, um, even though there's no guarantee that any of these players will be released by their clubs because they don't have to be uh, because it's a youth tournament. So, yeah, kind I... of interesting. But, you know, in terms of like cool stuff, like both of those fire players, Sergio Arhel Jr. and Javier Casas will be playing Brazil, um, which is kind of cool in the Pan Am Games as well as Honduras and Colombia in group stage games. Um, and if they advance, obviously, you know, a, a chance at actually like competing for something and winning. Um, obviously you've already played Brazil who are, Oh, you know, along <laughs> with Argentina, one of the two top teams in the Americas. So. Uh, it's, it's, it's nothing. They'll be fine. I'm sure it won't turn into a blowout. I mean, honestly, I think that who knows what, what kinds of squads people are sending and you just never know. So it really could be, could be interesting. I, I can't say that I can remember watching the Pan Am games much lately, but um, I mean, I think I'm going to try to catch more of it this time. I know the Pan Am, the last one, I know it wasn't really, nothing happened from what I recall. Like it, it was just boring. I anyway. feel like that even for the athletes, they're like, I don't even know why I'm, why I'm here. But <laughs> It's a chance for a city to host this event and then use it five years later to say that you host the Olympics. That's what Toronto was trying to do. 
And then they decided not to bid for the games because the games are stupid. Anyway, um, on to the other continent, Europe. Shaq was uh, playing one game. He played the a game against on October 14th against Belarus. Scored in the 28th minute, giving Switzerland a one-goal lead. The match ended 3-3 because Belarus came back in a similar fashion Shaq is very familiar with now with the fire. He's weird, bad team just came back. They were winning, and then the Switzerland came back and drew it 3-3. So They got goals in the 89th and 90th minute, Switzerland did, to finally level it up. It really looked like Belarus was going to pull an upset with that, which just would have been crazy. Yeah, for reference, Belarus is in fifth, and Switzerland is in second in the group. Uh, there was going to be another game, but it was canceled for reasons that I will not get into. <laughs> It, yeah, uh, the, the match was against Israel. I, I asked mm-hmm. Shaq if he thought it was going to go on after the game against Charlotte. And he's like, I mean, I guess we're just going to have to see. Um, I would say, I mean, I was expecting that it was going to be canceled. Um, but it's UEFA that got to make that decision. And UEFA made a bunch of players go back on the pitch and finish a game hours after they saw a teammate die. I mean, admittedly, temporarily die, but they actually saw him die on the pitch. And then they made the t- players go back out on the same pitch a few hours later to finish the game. So, yeah. you know. I mean, in fairness, it it, it is UEFA. They are very much... It, it's just UEFA. It's, it's where all the inbred, like the most inbred members of deposed European monarchies end up. Like, <laughs> if you're a former Habsburg or someone like that, there's a reasonable chance you've got a job paying you like, well into the six figures, so you can have caviar and you know sip champagne while hobnobbing with like a bunch of ex footballers that are trying to get uh, you know graft off of you know countries with dictators. Not a bad gig if you can get it. No. Um, going back, coming back over to the Americas, we had two South American players called up: Gaston for Paraguay, which he didn't play any games, but he was on the bench for them. Uh, I think this is his first call-up in like two years now. Yeah, I, I believe it's his first call-up since the last round of World Cup qualifying. Um, but he was excited. He was very excited to be going. He, it was a surprise for him. Um, I will say he was on the bench, which is more than he will be for the rest of the Flyers' regular season because he's suspended for the Magicans in YCFC. I mean, you're forgetting. What if he comes in from the top banners? Gaston Jimenez comes in to finally kick one more player in the in the butt. <laughs> I mean, crazier things have happened. That is true. I'm what we are currently watching Inter Miami and Charlotte play a game, and Brand Branico has a mullet. One hundred percent, he's got a mullet. He, it, it is insane. Uh, the other player was Miggy. Uh, Miguel got called up to Venezuela. From my understanding, he does seem to be kind of like one of their main left backs, one of their two main left backs. I don't pay much attention to that, but uh, he's definitely he, in the rotation. It, like like MLS, Venezuela does not have a bunch of really great options at left back. So Venezuela, though, uh, he didn't play against Brazil. They drew one one, uh, but against Chile. They beat Chile 3 0. And I believe they're now in third in the stand Conmebol standings, if I remember correctly. Let me double check just to make sure. They are currently in they're in fourth. For reference, Venezuela has never qualified for a World Cup. They are the only South American team to have never qualified. <laughs> And fourth uh, would, you know, fourth would get them in. Obviously, it's a little bit easier this time because they expanded format in 2026. So, I mean, legitimately, Miguel Navarro could be helping his team make it to a World Cup, which, I mean, would be a tremendous accomplishment. Um, but I, I would suspect that, you know, given the way that things are going, it looks like he would probably be named to that squad too. But obviously, 2026 is in some ways still kind of a world away. Yeah. Um, other than them... Coming back to CONCACAF, looking at Fire 2, Omari Glasgow got called up again. 
Uh, he has been extremely good for Guyana. He has been arguably probably one of their best players when it comes to scoring. I see a lot he, about him. He has, he has become set, like one of their most dependable scorers. He scored a hat trick during the last window. Um, he scored in both their games this window. I mean, it's, it's really good for him and it's a feel good story for, um, for Guyana, which is a country that after like a really rough go, I used to live there for a while when I was a kid and it, it was a, a country that had a lot of, of headwinds economically, socially, politically. Um, and it looks like things are kind of like looking up in multiple directions, including with the soccer federation. So it's, it's really great to see. I remember, um, I believe it was last year, the CONCACAF held in a tournament at IMG and I ran into a few guys from Guyana and I asked them about Amari and they were like, Oh, he's awesome. We love him. So that's a good thing. Yeah. You're hearing good stories about them. Like honestly, like calling to check up on him and like, make sure that like, you know, he's doing okay. And, you know, cause he is still such a young guy, um, which is great. And, um, they're also, so they're playing, this was, these weren't friendlies. They were playing in CONCACAF nations league B. This is the, you know, group stage. There isn't a, a knockout tournament or anything like that. Um, if they top their group, they will qualify for, uh, the like nations league a, which is the one that has like the U S Mexico, Canada, um, and countries like that. Um, if they get a single point, like these were two huge games cause they were against Puerto Rico, who was, um, tied for second, like up with Guyana in the group. They were both, I guess, tied for first. Um, and so had, the former, fact that they were, had former fire two player, Noah Hernandez on it. Yeah. And they actually played against each other for a while, which is kind of crazy to see. Um, but the fact that Guyana was able to score, or Guyana was able to win both matches. Um, Glasgow opened the scoring in the first match, both against Puerto Rico. Opened the scoring in the first match. Um, he was subbed off in the 87th minute, and they went on to win three to one. Um, he scored in the 85th minute uh, when the, they were already up two to one, putting the team up three to one, um, which was the final score. And he played the full 90 in that one. Um, if Guyana gets a single point or if Puerto Rico drops um, another point, then Guyana has already automatically won the group and will be in Nations League A um, starting in 2024. Yeah. Which I kind of hope they do because I, I don't know when Glasgow is going to get promoted to the fire. It seems likely that he will be eventually, but it'd be nice to actually see him get some good press. Yeah, then. and it's also just good for the development of soccer in the region. If you have more countries that are able to sort of like start pushing in that tier, like I, I don't think that it would be realistic for Guyana to expect that they would like be beating Mexico or the United States anytime soon. But I mean, if they could start taking it to like maybe like Honduras in an off year or like Costa Rica, if they're not playing their A team or something like that, and it just brings more competitiveness to the region, I just think that really helps us. Yeah. Like, like we always hear. Got to beat the minnows before you can beat the big ones. And last but certainly not least, Georgios Kutsias called up to the U21s for Europe, for the Greeks. Um, he played one game, I think. Or did he play? He played both games, didn't he? He played in both games. He played the full 90 minutes in the first game, and he played uh, up until very early in the, the second half or the second game. Um, it's kind of a weird... It, it's qualifying for the 2025 under 21 euros euro tournament which it just seems like this is a very long time away from the tournament for u21s but here we are again it's europe what do you expect so yeah uh Kuzi scored in the first game um he scored the equalizer in what ended up being a 2-2 draw and um then he was playing um during a 2-0 loss against portugal who currently are topping that group um, with those results, it's, it's so bizarre. Uh, Greece is in fourth place, but out of six teams, but the teams in fifth and sixth place have played significantly more matches than them. Greece has played four. The team in sixth has played in fifth has played six matches and the team in sixth has played seven matches. I'm not sure how you play seven matches when Croatia, who are currently in second place, have only played three. Seems like something weird is going on with that. I didn't dig into it. I, I'm a sicko for these things, but not that much of a sicko. Uh, welcome to Belarus. We're just going to go with that. All right. 
Last and finally, we're not going to focus on international. Um, real quick mention, today they did announce the MLS Players Association. They announced the salaries. We are going to go into more detail on that next episode when Decision Day has happened. Um, but for now, obviously Shaq's the highest paid player. Several players are on high-end TAM and DP contracts. Jimenez, Shabelko, and Shihos are TAM. Uh, Torres is still a young DP. And Dumbia is actually only making three or 420000 a year. But of yeah, course, he's the eighth highest played yeah. player on the fire, which is which is crazy. We we knew that it was a DP kind of like a dino, like DP and name only contract, and that's what um, that's what it turns out he is. That's less than what I'd heard some rumors about his compensation level. Now, obviously, we don't know because he's on a loan. If he comes here permanently, if there could already be a negotiated amount, which would be a different salary level or something like that. I think it's also worth mentioning. Uh, since he's on loan, technically his salary can can be completely brought down. Uh, so that's probably par- that might be part of it too. Why it's so yeah. low this year? It'll be higher next year. Yeah, some budget some budget issues. But I've got a piece kind of analyzing some of the highlight figures coming out that should be out by the time that this podcast is released, and um, we'll we'll continue to dig into that more in the off season as we look at like what the fire can and can't be doing um, yeah. in terms of like roster changes. All right. Speaking of the offseason, uh, potentially the last game of the year is coming up on Saturday. The Fire will be going to the Big Apple, facing off against New York City FC at City Field. We have never won in New York City. I, I didn't look too well. I don't think we've the Fire have ever won a game in New York State. Well, I that would be I'm the like same wrong. thing because the... Because the Metro Stars now Red Bulls have never played in New York State. They've always played in New Jersey. Well, I mean against like minor league team like Rochester, they never beat they never won at so like they never beat Rochester even when Rochester was a thing. The Rhinos. The Raging Rhinos. Yes. The Which Raging is actually a very Rhinos. good name. It's a fantastic name, and I'm really sad that that team didn't end up making it. Um it just seems like a really sad story for the city of Rochester, which really did support that team for a while. So, um, yeah. So we start as so we finish as we started. We started against them, one-one draw back on March fourth. Herbers scored a pretty good goal that got him onto the uh, team of the week. But yeah, there's it's not much really to say about it. Um, the game. That game was just the beginning of this year. I think that's the game where we all were just kind of like, it's either going to be really good or not good. And I'm feeling like that exact same way against New York City this time. We are either going to have a really good game or a really, really mid game or a really, really bad game. Any of us that any of us that were there at the beginning of the season just mostly felt that it was a very, very cold game because I I believe it was the coldest game in the home game in fire history. Um, it certainly was not warm, and I was just like ready for the ninety minutes to be over. Uh, to be honest, it was significantly yeah. colder than I thought it would feel. But uh, to be fair, we have never won at NYCFC, but we've also never played at City Field. This will be the first time that we'll be playing at that venue. Um, oh. Have the White Sox ever won at City Field? Oh man, <laughs> jeez, I because if, yeah. if the White Sox have won, we have a good chance. That's my view. <laughs> but, um, so the other thing that's worth worth mentioning is that NYCFC did knock the fire out the last time that they were in contention on Decision Day. Um, NYCFC had already qualified for the playoffs. The fire would have qualified with a single point and they ended up losing um, at home to NYCFC by a three to four score line in, in a game that was just like, I mean, obviously seven goals in the game. It was a, it was a crazy game. Um, I don't want to dig into that too much because it was uh, obviously kind of a better ending for, for things. Um, Wasn't that the 2019 that, that, season? That was 2019, right? No, that was 2020. It was the COVID year. So oh. it, it, was, it was sort of odd. There, yeah, like, the you know, the games were at Soldier Field, but the stands were empty. The, you know, men in red were wearing a deep shade of blue. Um, 
It was COVID. Yeah. Like it was, it was a lot of weird stuff going on that year. Needless to say, glad that's over with. Back, back to this time, and the fires still suck. <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, you know, again, like overall, the fire have won three times all at home, uh, six draws and ten losses. Now, it is worth saying that even though the fire have never won away to NYC at NYCFC, um, the last two games were one nil losses, and they were both decided by penalties. So the, it, it's not that the fire have been getting run off the field in against NYCFC um, wherever they're playing. It's, this match was initially scheduled for Red Bull Arena um, before it was moved to City Field, which is not where the team normally plays. I mean, we were hinting at that, but they, they normally play at Yankee Stadium. I don't know why they're playing at City Field. Um, maybe because somebody has a crush on Mrs. Met. I don't know. <laughs> But oh, um, please don't please don't open that can of worms right now. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> or is there a Mrs. City? Is there like a Mrs. City t- <laughs> that they bring I out for? I don't want us. I do not want to put that into my search bar to find out. Um. So, in any case, I, I have to think that part of the reason that the um that the game was moved is because they set up City Field to have exactly the same pitch dimensions as uh, Yankee Stadium, which. I mean, it looks more like a field designed for seven aside than it really does. Uh, than it really does a full eleven guys per team uh, soccer match. So uh, it's it's four meters shorter than than or sh- like less wide than the normal pitch, and I want to say ten. No, I, sorry, four yards shorter and and ten yards narrower, and altogether that just really shrinks the midfield, which has to be part of it. Um, that has to be part of the calculations here. Um, it changes the way that you play balls over the top. It changes the way that uh, crosses and corners get played. Um, it means that if and when, and, and I hate to say that this is probably going to be a win, Shakiri goes for an Olympico. Uh, it will probably end up somewhere very different than where he wants it to end just because of how narrow that field is. Shakira goes for an Olympico and manages to get it over the other flag, the other corner flag. It's like, I mean, my question is just, is it a fair ball or not? Um, and one other thing to note. So the game against Miami and Charlotte, that game just ended. It was a two, two draw, which means New York city is still in it. And unfortunately, that means New York City is still in it. So they, so are- they now have something to play for. Um, now, having said that, they need a win. Um, obviously, you know, getting two one nothing wins off of penalties, like the Fire have bad luck with refereeing decisions. But to be honest, I don't think that the Fire have been like, I don't think there's referees that have a vendetta against the fire. I think it just is one of those things where you get players that sometimes get overly enthusiastic and they concede in bad moments and the team hasn't had offense to overcome situations like that. And you've had players that have gotten overwhelmed. So I think it's just also a case of we're fire fans. We see a lot of the bullshit going on on our side and these refs just suck in general sometimes. And, and you know what? Like, I mean, there's there's been a fan protest at NYCFC to try to get Nick Cushing, their their head coach, out. They, they've been very frustrated with the lack of signings. I mean, it's it's a team that's co-owned by City Football Group of, like, Manchester City and the New York Yankees. So, like, these are not two organizations that you'd think would be shy about spending money on talent. But as it stands right now, um, going back to the salary release, like they, they are not really one of the higher spending teams in the league. Um, I believe they may only have one guy who's got a designated player label right now. Um, yep. So, and it's it's a guy that plays in their back line. Like you know, everyone is expecting that the roster, which looked like it had a ton of holes in it, was going to get reinforced at some point, initially in the opening transfer window, just because. City Football Group has, I mean, you know, probably 50, 60 guys that are not getting serious minutes at, you know, Manchester City that could be sent over that are under contract to one of the various City Football Group teams who could be real difference makers in MLS. And I think we were all expecting them just to like parachute in, but that didn't happen. They never came. The reinforcements, like the cavalry never arrived for NYCFC. And 
they've kind of just made do with what they've got. Uh, they do not have a DP at the moment, actually. It looks really? like. Yeah, I don't think they do. That's kind of interesting because I kind of thought, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Tiago Martins, I thought, was a DP for them still. Um, I may be wrong about that. Obviously, they up until this season, they had um, Sean Johnson, former fire goalkeeper, um, in the net. He was the one that was in net when they won MLS Cup in 2021. Okay, they do have Martins is a DP. Santiago Rodriguez and it looks like Talas Magno are also young DPs. My mistake. Yes. Yeah. So, so they've got young, they've got young, talented players. Um, they don't really have any big marquee names. They don't have anyone that's really going to like break them open the game that much for you. I mean, Santi Rodriguez is talented. I, he leads the team in both goals and assists. Talas Magno is uh, the player that we mentioned earlier. He was named to that twenty-two U twenty-two MLS Best Eleven um, as a center forward, even though he typically plays on the wing in reality for them. So. Um, those are talented young guys. Uh, James Sands is an American, um, a full international. I think he's played like a plus or minus a dozen games with the national team. Um, so that's a name that a lot of listeners may re- may recognize. Uh, he is a mainstay in their defensive midfield, even though he kind of was listed and started out on the back line for them. Um, so, you know, they do have young talent. Like, they've got some talent. They just don't have any big names, and they don't have that many real difference makers push come to shove. Yeah. Also, another name that uh, some people might recognize, Alfredo Morales from very long ago. He hasn't played in a while. I think he's been injured. I, I think he, yeah, I think he's not, I'm not sure that if he's listed as injured, but I think that he has not really had significant minutes with them all season. Um. I remember he he was uh, one of the German players that Jurgen wanted to really call up. I think, yeah, it was Jurgen. But yeah, so that's that's a bit of a blast from the past there. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it all adds up. Like NYCFC so far only have thirty four goals on this season. Um, that is the second least in the conference after Toronto, who have been. I think we all know, like, absolutely terrible. On the other hand, it's only five fewer goals than the Fire have. Um, and they've let in 11 fewer goals than the Fire this year. So, you know, there's different components there. I mean, obviously, their home matches being on such a different size and shape of a pitch have really helped them a lot. Um, and I don't think we can, like, underestimate how significant that is. Yeah. But, um, like, you do the math, and it's, like, literally, like, 10% smaller than a full size pitch, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean, you know, you try shrinking a room by 10% like at a busy party and keep the same number of people in it. And it starts feeling a lot more crowded and that's kind of the way that it gets. Um, but I mean, having said, like I said, NYCFC need to win to make it into the playoffs. They know that there are still scenarios where the fire could potentially make it in with a draw NYCFC absolutely have to win. So they will be playing for it. Um, you know, maybe that make opens up the midfield a little bit more if they're pressing. Maybe that leads them to making mistakes. And if the fire can capitalize, then um, you know, th- that could be a different result in the first ever victory. They've never been in a position before where they could deny NYCFC a playoff position on decision day. So it's kind of uncharted territory for the two clubs against each other. So that's kind of cool. All I know for sure is I'm going to take a guess that Herbert's gets a yellow card. That's entirely possible. Um, so Gaston Jimenez is suspended, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, Federico Navarro is back and is healthy, so that's going to be great for the fire. We haven't seen him in a long time. I don't believe that he's ever played with Osman Dumbia. No. Or if he has, it's only been for a few minutes, because I, I think that he's been injured pretty much the entire time since Dumbia got here. I think he... If I remember correctly, him and Dumbia... They have started in the League's Cup. I think like one League's Cup game they played together. So they are not that familiar with each other, which is not great. Um, Obviously, neither was called to international duties, so they've had time to practice with each other and stuff. Um, Fetty's apparently been practicing with the full team for most of the international breaks. That's great to see. So we'll just have to see how things shake out. You know, I think that 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 midfield duo could be interesting. Um, when Gaston Jimenez and Osman Dumbia are the kind of like in the double pivot together, you 
kind of expect Gaston, Gaston to take more of like the eight role that's sort of more advanced up the field that more is responsible for jumping into the offense, kind of crashing into the box at late minutes, which we saw Gaston do for one of the only times, you know, in the past couple of years. Um, I think that with Fetty and and Dumbia in the double pivot, I would be I would expect that Dumbia would probably take in more of that eight role. And uh Fetty would probably take more of like the six kind of like more defensive role, with you know, there being significant interplay between the two where you'd expect that one would they would switch off at times, but um in his time in Switzerland, you know, Dumbia, like there's there's I mean a lot of highlights of the guy like coming, crashing into the box. Uh, coming out of nowhere to like intercept a ball when teams are trying to play out of the back. And so, and you know, that is a possibility for um, what we'll see on Saturday. So if that's the case, um, to be honest, you know, the NYCFC's midfield is, is decent, but I could actually give us the edge, especially if uh, Fetty comes in as hungry as he realistically could be. Absolutely. My question right now, though, on the lineup is whether or not Kamara starts. Yeah, that's a big question because he's sitting on 144 goals, one behind Landon Donovan at 145 on the number two spot on the all-time list behind only Chris Wondolowski. Um, it, it seemed like he was going to smash that record earlier this year. He, he was going to own it and like potentially put like five goals between him and Landon. And then between injuries, bad luck, being snake bit, things going on in his head, whatever, um, he has not scored in months. And he's on a one-year deal. This may not be it for him. Um, He hasn't said that it is. I'd have to think that there's probably a club, if not the fire, that would be willing to give him a chance for another year if he wanted to come back at the right salary number. But you have to think that he just wants to be able to get there this year. Right. For reference, uh, right now Kamara is making two hundred thousand, which is significantly more than he made in Montreal. But um, and that was one of the reasons that he was unhappy with Montreal and he didn't want to stick around. Um, by the way, um, but I mean to be fair, like you know, he was for a very long time. The the last time that he actually took the field for the Fire because he missed a couple games with a back injury, um, he was the Fire's leading scorer. He's since been overtaken. Um, by Marin Haile Selassie, but you know he he has scored more goals than a lot of other people in the Fires rosters, despite not scoring in several months. Yeah. To say nothing, I, he also scored that one goal in the League's Cup too. Actually, since Klobos took over, he's only scored once in league play and once in League's Cup. Yeah, so it's like I don't know if something's with Klobos because Klobos. Part of the thing with Kamara too is he is playing a lot more defensively. Like there have been games where he has been the fire's biggest asset on defense. And I remember there was one game where Jiggly was saying, why is Kamara still in the game? And it's like, you got to keep him in. He's, he's arguably the best defender. He's tall. He's bulky. He's going to get that crap out of there. And like, I, I feel like that's part of it too. It's just like, he's not playing. He's not the striker. He's not the guy right now. Because he keeps crossing the ball and he keeps playing on defense. Um. Yeah, and Kusius has emerged, which is what you want from a guy his age. You know, he was brought in on the U22 deal as like one of the guys that you hope gets better throughout the year and then the year after that. Um, and eventually, you know, I think the plan would be to like try to find a way to sell him back to Europe for a lot more than we got him for. Um, and he started to look like he fits into that role. Um, Something we haven't seen, I, I don't think, is we've, we've never seen Kutsia start and then be subbed off for Kai Kamara. Um, it's always been Kai Kamara. It's, it's always been Casper uh, Shabilko comes on when Kutsia goes off. Um, again, I don't know what would happen. I, I think my gut says that, especially because it seemed like there was kind of a, a back issue that was nagging Kai for a while, um, which seems to be resolved, that he will start and he will be hungry. I think he knows what's at stake. He is a player like Shakiri, where there's a lot of highlights of him having big moments in big games. This is obviously a big game. Um, it, a lot of teams have had five-year playoff droughts in the history of the league. I want to say like five or six have. Only one team in history has ever had a drought longer than that, and that's Toronto FC, which didn't make the playoffs in its first 
eight seasons from 2017 through 20 or 2007 through 2015. Um, if the Fire don't make the playoffs this year, they will be the sole holders of the second longest playoff drought in league history. Yep. And right now, it's kind of a double-edged sword, too. Because on one hand, I really want the Fire to make the playoffs. Obviously, the guys deserve to get something for all the effort they have put in. But on the other hand, I, I don't know. I don't... There is a very, very clear blockage for the fire right now to get to the playoffs and uh, basically they need to make right now they need to make sure two of the teams above them they don't win and Montreal who's Montreal facing off against they're facing Portland aren't they no they are facing uh, they're facing Columbus so it's kind of like oh. a Wilfred Nancy Darby um, <laughs> the the angry about the coach Darby I mean and- Montreal let him walk. They he they didn't he was under contract. They didn't have to. They let him go. Yeah. Um and then minute New York Red Bulls are facing off against everybody. They're away to Nashville. So and Nashville now, because they won their game last Saturday, they have things to play for. Uh Nashville are currently seventh on 49 points. With a win, they could potentially go as high as um as fifth, if New England loses, or and if the goal differential between the two, which is currently three, is made up. So, obviously, New England losing and Nashville winning by at least one, that eats up at two-thirds of that. If Nashville wins by, you know, two or more and New England loses by one or whatever, like, they could potentially get the fifth. I, I You know, there's so much fluidity in the positions that doesn't get them a home, a home, like, series advantage for the best, like, the best of three playoff series, but um, you still think that they've got something to play for. Um, it's such a case of which would you rather play against Orlando, Philadelphia, or Columbus? But the thing is, you won't necessarily know because, you know, Philadelphia, I guess, couldn't make it second, but uh, Columbus, uh, New England, and um, Columbus, New England, and Philly could all potentially switch places because Philadelphia has 15 wins and a plus 17 goal differential. Uh, Columbus already has 15 wins and a plus 20 goal differential, but have one fewer points in Philadelphia. So like, there could be a lot of movement there. And I don't think anyone really knows where things are going to end up. You know, like you won't know until the end. I mean, potentially there will be a blowout in one of those games, but there's a lot of moving pieces to all of it. So basically right now for the fire, the way it'll have to work is if they draw Charlotte, New York Red Bulls, both have to lose. Like end of story. They can draw, but they both have to lose. Montreal doesn't matter because Montreal's at 41 points and they're gonna be above the fire no matter what. Um but if they win well, they have 12 wins, which is the tiebreaker, because they have yeah. 12 wins. If the fire draw, then they don't have 41 points, but Montreal would automatically be ahead on that tiebreaker because they have 12 wins, the fire have 10. Technically speaking, Charlotte can draw their game if the fire draw and they can the fire will still go through. But if the fire Only draw if the Red Bulls lose. Like rebels have to lose. Charlotte can draw as a fire draw, but no. On the other and hand, then, yeah. The the other option is if the fire win, they basically cannot have um, both the Red Bulls and Montreal win. One of yes. them can, but both cannot. Uh yes, because part of the thing is New York Red Bulls currently league goal differential. Technically, the Red Bulls can be jumped. But as we said before, uh, it's going to require a lot of goals and more than the Fire have scored in their history. Yeah, so obviously if the Red Bulls win, they would be decreasing their goal differential by at least one. They're currently negative four. So they'd be at least negative three. The Fire are at negative 11. The Fire have never won by more than seven goals. They would have to do that um, against... NYCFC in a very small pitch where there's going to be a lot of bodies and not a lot of room. So, um, so that sounds like the perfect spot to just start throwing the ball in the back of the net. I mean, who knows? Maybe there will be like six red cards in the first 20 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> it'll be like TS. It'll be like TST where we'll end up just like with a bunch of guys just like scoring on each other because like nobody really wants to defend. <laughs> it's an all-star game. But 
Yeah, yes. and minus the expensive tickets and visiting uh, Premier League club. Oh, I was talking more NBA All Star Game. Oh, fair enough. Where there's there's no no such thing as defense in an NBA All Star Game. There's just you just throw the ball wherever you can. <laughs> but yeah, so basically for the fire, they kind of control their destiny. They've got to win. That is the best option is a win as per usual. But even then, they still got to get some luck from Charlotte, Montreal, or from Montreal, New York. Yeah, so Montreal has to lose. To, Montreal has to lose or draw to Columbus, um, and then the New York Red Bulls have to lose or draw to Nashville. Now, I, you have to think that um, Montreal is playing um, away to Columbus, and the Red Bulls are playing away to Nashville. So. You have to think that a win would be a little bit surprising for both of those teams that the fire would be competing with. Um, you know, then again, like a win is probably not the most likely outcome for the fire. So there we are. But I mean, you have to think that realistically, if the fire win, they have a, a tremendously good chance, something like a, a three in four chance of making the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. The big question after that is basically just home field or no home field that they win. Yeah. If they make it to eighth place, which would involve them having the best record out of uh, Montreal, the Red Bulls um, and Charlotte, um, they would have the, they would have a home match during the play in game for the playoffs that like kind of like round that they added as well as a home playoff game um, in a best of three series. If they win that game. I'm going to sit here and say, because I know I normally make predictions. I can't predict this one. I am, like I said earlier, I am full of the idea that it's either going to be a really close, really good game, or it's going to be just, it's not going to be good for us. I just feel like it's going to be a close game. I just feel like it's going to be a real knuckle biter. Um, I mean, there's a potential, like there's a universe where like four teams in the Eastern Conference end up with 41 points and only two of those four get into the playoffs. I, I mean, which is just crazy considering you play 34 whole games and where the chances that a quarter of the conference ends up at exactly <laughs> the same spot in the standings, you know. So it, I, I think it's going to be wild. I think this is going to be one of those games where like a, a bunch of us are going to have... um the, the game on one screen and MLS 360 on another as we're just like waiting and then thinking like, okay, like, you know, Nashville scored. That's okay. That's good. Right. And then like this, this team leveled it and like, is that good? Okay. That's okay. Like I'm okay with that. And then you're just going to be switching back and forth. And I, I think just my gut feeling is there's going to be, there's going to be drama on Saturday. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would not be shocked if a fire player gets sent off on Saturday and a New York City player. Well, I mean, again, like the last two times they played away at NYCFC, they've conceded a penalty. So uh, a red card would not be the craziest outcome. Weren't they both with Miggy, too? Let's not talk about that. I mean, <laughs> like, look, I, I feel like there's like something where there's like some seasonality to it. And Miggy was just sent off for a ridiculously stupid challenge. So um, I, I remember last season, last season, uh, the penalty, that call was just stupid. I remember that game because it hit off Miggy's head and it fell down. He was jumping because his arms were extended they were like oh it hit it's one arm. of those things where like if you jump like the way that any human being jumps and not like the way that like a lego piece can be lifted off of a thing your arm is going to be in that position but it was ruled as whatever because the the natural position thing got thrown out. i mean yeah the, we will never actually have a, a handball rule that makes intuitive sense and seems fair just give up on that oh yeah absolutely like and now with var it's even worse Oh, right, because now you've got, like, I, I'm just, like, three guys in a dark room somewhere deciding whether or not a hand movement or an arm movement is natural, and that's why they changed the rule. And now it's just, like, if it hits here, it's not natural, but, like, come on. Um, So, what can you do? Yeah. Anyway, so, Saturday is going to be a real nail-biter. It's going to cause some of us to lose our hair, probably. 
Yeah, well, I already don't have any, so uh, I was gonna say you got, head, t- like, got you got a head. Tim got a head start on this. Yeah, um, <laughs> got a beard though, so like that maybe will just go crashing away. Um, you know, I, I think it should be fun. Like, just gonna throw white. This is it's gonna be a fun game. I, I think it's gonna be a fun Saturday. This is supposed to be fun. Um, you know, Shakiri shows up in big games as we saw against Miami. This is clearly a big game. This is the only time that he's had a match where it's basically like win and you're in for the playoffs for the fire. So I know that's not guaranteed win and you're in, but like realistically a win should probably be enough. Um, so hopefully that's enough. Um, hopefully, um, you know, we will have more like in season episodes, uh, regardless of what happens, we will have our episode coming out, um, early next week when we're going to recap the NYCFC match and go on from there. Um, hopefully it will be a playoff preview match as well. Um, you know, make sure to check out. We're going to have a full match preview available on Friday on MinInRed97.com. Uh, we will have, um, like I said, the, a, a kind of like salary piece available. Um, other pieces about international duty and stuff like that have come out and are coming out. So, um, yes, definitely check out what everybody's writing. Tim, especially, he does occasionally put the words onto the papers. Yeah. Well, in this case, well, onto the screen. Uh, the digital papers, yeah. No, no actual, no actual dead trees are used in the making of Minute Red ninety seven. Wait, we aren't committing the tree sacrifices anymore. I thought we were still doing that. I mean, we are, but not for like printing it out, just for other reasons. Ah, oh, okay. Anyway, yes. So this has been Minute Red ninety seven podcast with just Tim and I. I am, of course, joined by Tim. Come on, you Minute Red. Let us begin. Let us hope for good and uh, insert some random 90s movie reference here. Bye, y'all.